Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck O'Noctane. This week's episode is sponsored by the independent film We Speak. A moving relationship drama, We Speak follows a young couple on New Year's Eve as they make an important decision that will affect the rest of their lives. We Speak was filmed here in the beautiful Treasure Valley of Idaho during January and February of 2017. It debuted at the 2018 Twin Fall Sandwiches Film Festival, where it won Best Ensemble, Best Screenwriting, and Best of Idaho. You can watch We Speak on Amazon. It is free for Prime members. Welcome back. I hope you all have enjoyed the music-themed Redux episodes we've posted the past couple weeks. We miss music here. Unfortunately, the Treasure Valley is still battling the COVID outbreak. There are many in the area that are not terribly concerned about the outbreak. However, we haven't reopened the schools yet. Once we're back in school, that'll spread some of those germs through the neighborhood. Remember, unless you've personally met 100 people that have tested positive for COVID, you can't use anecdotal evidence to downplay the deadliness of this disease. I spoke about that on episode 90, COVID-19, Misleading Facts and Statistics. Check it out after this episode if you haven't. With that behind us, Let's move on to school. Many districts in the Treasure Valley have decided to move their instruction online this fall. Good luck, parents. And even better luck to you students. Fortunately for you, I'm a teacher with a background in psychology, so I'd like to try to convey some specifics to help in this remote learning environment. I can tell you right now, especially for parents of elementary age kids, this is not going to be easy. But with consistency and discipline, there's actually a good chance you can end the year with a child that has developed skills beyond their grade level. The reason for that is, in my opinion, one-on-one time, if you're at home with your kid, and also unrestricted practice are the most valuable tools in education if used correctly. But first, let's start with the basics. Number one, you want to create a location for schoolwork. Spend time making a place for your kid to work. Being in a good mental space is key to productivity. If you can afford it, find a location that is dedicated to schoolwork with a device that is also specifically for schooling. That way your kid can make a mental switch to focus mode. Remove all distractions from the work area and block all applications and sites on the school device that aren't necessary for productivity. Now when I say this, I don't think your kid needs to spend eight hours per day in a sterile environment. But when it's really time to zero in on math practice, essay writing, or reading a text, use that specific space. Number two, initially, proximity and close monitoring are key. I'm not a fan of helicopter parenting because kids need to venture out on their own without a safety net. But when it comes to work ethic, that needs to be monitored closely and should only be given flexibility after proven consistency. Watch your kids in the beginning. If you can't watch directly, check in frequently as in every 5 to 15 minutes, depending on the age or level of self-motivation of your kid. Make sure all assignments are done. If not, stand and watch him work. When I first started teaching, I made the mistake of focusing on rewards for completing tasks. Rewards are extremely important and are a crucial second step to shaping a kid's independent work ethic, but I found the easiest first step is just watching them like a hawk. When I teach in a classroom, I start the year with all the desks in a giant U-shape. That seating arrangement allows me to be within three strides of any student at any time. The first assignment I give them is always a silent assignment that I know they are capable of completing on their own. For example, a worksheet that they share facts about themselves. Then I patrol the classroom and stand next to anyone that decides to start a conversation. I quietly instruct them to do their work. Then I continue to stand over them and watch until they fill out a question or two. 
The kid is always relieved when I step away and is reluctant to even look around until I tell the entire class it's okay to work together or chat a little bit. After a couple of weeks, I only need to glance at a kid that's out of line. That's when I know I can add rewards to motivate independence in a more positive way. If you're at home with your kid, I imagine the best move on the first day would be to watch him sign into their class, then tell him, I'm going to watch you do the first few assignments to make sure you understand how to turn everything in. Then hover. Redirect your kid to work whenever there's a distraction. Do your best not to be too helpful, then step away once your kid is off and working independently. Like I said, keep checking in and verifying that things are getting done. Don't take their word for it until they've earned it. If you have a teen who's home alone all day, check with him immediately after work. If there's a single assignment missing or partially incomplete, stand and watch him finish before you do anything else. Trust me, not completing things are a way of kids testing boundaries. Most teachers know this. When they're trying to instruct remotely, they won't be able to catch this behavior quickly enough. Once your kid is working independently, the next step is reward systems. Number three, token reward systems are extremely effective. By token reward systems, I mean cash, either real or simulated. If you can afford to pay your kid for her grades, do it. You'll be surprised at how many A's you start seeing. If you can't use real cash, talk to your kiddo and work out a motivating reward. Actually, I doubt you even need to ask your kid because they've already been hounding you for something. If you set up your own point system or fake cash system, such as five virtual bucks for each assignment that you receive an A on, you can then set a price, however high or low, for each of your kid's demands. Just make sure you always follow through. If you set a price that you think is high, then your kid suddenly goes from a C and D student to a straight A student, be ready to pay out and don't be pissed off. Your kid just needed some external motivation. I've had too many parents expect their kids to do well in school because they say so. Well, would you do your job for free? And yes, I understand that you work to feed, clothe, and house your kid, but maturity is directly related to self-centeredness. So if you have a young or immature kid, they don't understand unless they've experienced it themselves. If you have a hard time dangling rewards over your kid's head for grades, then try this. Figure out how much you spend on your kid every month. Food, clothes, rent for their portion of their house, everything. Then figure out how much it would be worth to you for them to do well in school. You can even throw some chores in there. Sit them down and explain all the expenses transparently, then offer them payment for their efforts. But let them know they will be responsible for paying rent to you as well as paying for meals and their own clothing, etc. Don't be surprised if you get an agreement right away, especially if it comes with the prospect of extra spending money and more independence. Then don't be surprised when they have no idea how to budget and have run out of money before rents due. I ran the simulation with a fifth grade class one year, and about 25% were unable to afford rent the first month. The simulation used monopoly money and weekly payments on completion of work and other assigned duties. Now, 25% may seem like a lot, but when you think that 75% of 10-year-olds were able to budget their spending, don't underestimate your own kid. Now, I should also mention in this experiment, I had a store with candy and stickers where I allowed purchases before rent was due. It was my way of weeding out the kids that needed help with instant gratification and self-control. This isn't scientific, but I'll add anecdotally that many of those kids with problems delaying gratification were very familiar with Fortnite, which was the hottest online game at the time. So even if your kid bungles the entire reward system, I highly recommend going with money or some type of money simulation. It's better they fail now than when they're 18 with a brand new credit card. Now, assuming your kid has a place to work and the drive to put forth effort on most days, let's talk about the actual learning process. 
Number four, if you're helping your kid with their academics, break things down into their component parts. Not all instructors do a good enough job of breaking a lesson down into its most basic parts. Usually if a kid is having a problem, it's because the teacher or the parent assumes all steps are clear. For example, if you're working with a new math concept, say adding fractions with unlike denominators, doing a sample problem, then giving that sample for a student to use isn't enough. It's hard to explain without a visual example, but I'm going to try. In math, for each new step, rewrite the entire problem and label each step clearly. So if I've written one half plus one fourth on the chalkboard, I would clearly write step one, find the least common denominator. I would then write the entire process of finding equivalent fractions and common denominators, which I hope I have taught previously. Then I would move on to step two, rewrite the problem with the least common denominators. That sentence goes on the board along with the problem, two-fourths plus one-fourth equals blank. I would then clearly use colored arrows to show where I obtained the least common denominators. Then write step three, add the numerators. I would rewrite the entire problem again in step three, showing just the addition of the numerators. Then I would write step four. The denominator stays the same. I would then rewrite the entire problem once again, finishing the equation two-fourths plus one-fourth equals three-fourths. It can be a bit cumbersome, but you need to think about complicated instructions like baking instructions. The steps need to be clear enough to follow with minimal background knowledge. If your kid still can't follow them, then he doesn't understand an underlying concept. In the example of fractions, make sure the kid knows why the denominators aren't added together. Use physical objects. Pizza definitely helps understanding. A kid quickly sees that two-fourths of a pizza and another one-fourth of a pizza isn't three-eighths of a pizza. Be sure to ask a lot of questions and be creative in breaking complicated processes down into small, simple steps. If you have an older kid, let them try to explain it to your younger child. You might be so old you forgot what it's like not doing math in your head. Someone younger may still have a nugget in their memory banks of that aha moment, which will help them explain it better. Once you can break a complicated task into its component parts, your kid will be able to work independently, which brings me to my next point. Number five, Kids need practice even when they get it. Kids need a lot of repetitions to get things down and to move it from their short-term memory to their long-term memory. This is especially important for math. Once a student starts on math facts, I suggest they memorize them. Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, 0 to 12. It frees the brain up to use more energy on more difficult concepts. But the simple things need to be in their long-term memory in order to move to the next step. Have your kid practice their math facts until they can repeat them quickly and flawlessly. Writing is another area where I see huge deficits with kids, and this is usually due to a lack of practice. Kids will talk your friggin' ear off all day long about their weekend or sports activities. Students are always motivated to tell you their story, but the stipulation in my classroom is that they always write it down first, then read back what they wrote. After a couple of weeks of being forced to read their own writing in front of their peers, the quality of transcribing their thoughts increases immensely. That said, your kid should be writing every day. If your kid's teacher doesn't assign much writing, go over their head. In my opinion, writing is one of the most valuable and most overlooked skills in education. It forces kids to be concise with their thoughts, and rereading it allows them to reflect and recognize mistakes in real time. With writing practice, I suggest keeping it as enjoyable as possible. If you have a kid that's imaginative and wants to write a fantasy story about knights and dragons, let him go. And that's another key too. Let your kid write. There's a lot of focus on punctuation, spelling, and grammar in most schools' writing instruction, but always correcting mistakes takes the wind out of a lot of kids' sails. 
Have your kid write a sentence, a paragraph, a page, compliment them, then find one thing they could do to improve the next time. Don't mark it all up with red ink. That only punishes a kid for putting thoughts on paper. Then the next time they'll write less to see fewer corrections. There's no reason a fourth or fifth grader can't write 1,000 plus word essays about a topic that they really enjoy. They just need practice. Writing fluently is a skill that needs development and that happens best when the process isn't being nitpicked. So I guess improving writing is the opposite of math. I didn't mention anything about reading, but I really hope you push your kid to read every day. It may sound like I'm advocating a lot of cracking of the whip, which I am, but ideally this practice should come in short focus spurts. Learning all day can be exhausting. Be sure to figure out some break activities and times that help maximize their ability to sustain focus. Maybe you got a kid that can only sit still for 15 minutes. That's not a problem. The nice thing about online school is you'll hopefully have the flexibility of bouncing between subjects, allowing that kid with focus issues to work in a non-linear fashion. That brings me to my next point. Number six, worry about the what, not the how. Hopefully with online instruction, your kid will have more freedom with assignments and projects. Hopefully there will still be opportunities to work with peers as well. Too often in education, there are stringent rubrics to justify grades given for complicated assignments. Tell me the last time you had a rubric for a job duty. If you work at a job with lots of rubrics, tell me a time when you followed a rubric for success that guaranteed an A in life. When your kid is engaged, let her explore. Who knows what kind of work she might come up with. The deepest learning I ever get in my classroom is at the end of the day when I give the kids 30 minutes of project time. I have no guidelines for content other than if the principal walked in, I'd be upset if their project gets me fired. I have no stipulations on group size. I don't give any instructions on the medium for execution, only that they can use supplies available and I'm not bringing anything additional. The students know that they can investigate or create whatever is in their heads. I monitor what they're doing. That way I can see if it's only going to take a couple of days or a couple of weeks. The students rarely abuse the time. And the projects they come up with are much better than any mandatory book report I send home. They write plays, songs. Some kids figure out how to do slideshows with custom graphics and drawings. I'd really recommend you give your kid time to do this and hold them accountable for coming up with a project. It can easily turn into a productive and positive pastime. You know those habits they need to develop now so that when they're bitter adults, they don't spend their time arguing on Facebook with friends of acquaintances over memes? Oh, that reminds me. I have a comment to make on Facebook right now. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you like Treasure Valley Podcasts, please subscribe and share. Podcasts are still a word-of-mouth business, so take time to tell your friends and family. I'm Chuck Onoctane, and I hope you have a happy and healthy week.